Good morning, everybody. Great to be back. Uh, we were up last uh, Sunday preaching up at Citrus Heights, but I heard you're in very capable hands. A nice young man from Patterson, minister, and uh, we're glad to hear that. Uh, today, I'm going to be uh, preaching out of Colossians. In just a little bit, we'll, we'll turn there. So, But I want to I talk about, and the title of the message today is Eyes on the Lord. You know, scientists tell us that of the, our five inputs to our brain, you know, our, our vision, our hearing, uh, smell, taste, touch, that 80% of what our brain knows, we know through our vision, okay, through the vision. How we look, uh, our brain is continuing, uh, you know, how we look, not how we look, how we look <laughs> at the world around us. You know, how our, our brain is always working to, uh, uh, always working, you know, with the, through our vision to, to manage our body, to direct us. Uh, nav we navigate the world around us, and then we navigate it in three dimensions. It's a three-dimensional world. There's the, the distance, there's the mid-range, and then there's a close-up. And, and uh, skilled artists are aware of that. And skilled artists will try to replicate, replicate three dimensions in their paintings. My wife and I are going to go see... Uh, exhibit of Van Gogh paintings in San Francisco uh, this week, and uh, it'd be interesting to see his skill with his artwork. But you know, a skilled artist, when they paint a landscape, to make it interesting, to make it engaging and stimulating to the mind, they'll paint it with three dimensions. You'll have your background dimensions, which might be a blue sky or a, a sunset or a, a, a mountain range, as far as the eye can see. And then mid-range, mid that's where your focal point is. That's usually where you want to have your focus. You might have a deer or a stream or a, a field of wildflowers. And then your foreground, that's up close. You might have a branch or a side of a house or a, a, even a person. But the point is that this design is to give depth so you see the picture as you see the world in three dimensions. Now, for the Christian, for the Christian, we've been given the mind of Christ by the Spirit of Christ, and we've been spiritually raised with Christ, we're to see the world with the background dimension of heaven and heaven's kingdom. Okay? When we look out, when you look out, look up. When you look out, look up. That's what Paul's going to try to tell us here, he's going to tell us in Colossians chapter 3. He wants us to give us the vantage point of how we are to be looking when we look out into the world, what we're to be seeing. So um, if you have a Bible, I don't know if it's going to be uh, on the screen today. There it is. Thank you very much, Jacob. I appreciate that. Uh, if you're able and willing, if you uh, can stand with me for the reading of God's word, I'm going to read Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 to 11. It says, Since then you have been raised with Christ, Set your hearts on the things above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on the things above, not on earthly things, for you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, 
sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. And because of these things, the wrath of God is coming. You used to walk in these ways in the life you once lived, but now you must rid yourself of all these things as these anger, rage, malice, slander, filthy language from your lips. Do not lie to each other. Since you've taken off your old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge of the image of its creator. Here there is no Greek or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and in all. Amen. You may be seated. What Paul is telling us with the vantage point that he wants us to have as we look out into the world, is to keep your eyes on the Lord. Keep the eyes of your heart, the eyes of your mind on the Lord. Don't lose sight of God in the picture of your vision in life. Don't lose sight of his love. Don't lose sight of his holiness. Don't lose sight of his glory. Isaiah 26. We're told about the, uh, the angel, the seraphim, which were angelic creatures, they were inside the temple. And the throne of God was inside the temple. And they were worshiping, singing songs, and they were singing, you probably know it, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The earth, the whole earth is filled with his glory. When you look around, the earth is filled with his glory. When you look to the world around, the world around you, do you see his glory? whole earth is filled with his glory. Do we have the eyes to see? Keep looking. Keep your eyes on the Lord. Keep your eyes on the Lord. On his glory. When you look out, look up. We're going to look at two questions this morning about keeping your eyes on the Lord. The first is how and the second is why. So to look at the first question of how we're to do that. Look above. If you have an outline with you, you should, um, there's an in the back of your bulletin. I'm going to thank uh, Cynthia for typing that. Point number one is look above. Set your heart on the things above. Look at this, verse three. When you have been, since you've been raised with Christ, set your heart on the things above. Look above. There's a God in heaven who loves you. And he's paying attention to your life and he wants you to pay attention to his. Look above. There's a Savior who died for your sins. He was buried and he rose on the third day. Look above. If you are saved, if you are a believer in Christ, you've been raised spiritually with Christ. You're part of his eternal kingdom. Look above. Look above. Like the angels in the temple who beheld his holiness and his glory. Look above. Look above. Look above to his heavenly kingdom. Look above to, to, to God's heavenly glory. Focus your mind. Focus your vision and your affection. You see where it says, set your heart in verse 2. Set your heart on the things above. That's not just a passive gazing. It's, it's a setting your heart, you're desiring, you're seeking, you're wanting to know the things above. Setting your heart, just like David. You know, David wrote the book of Psalms about a thousand years before Jesus was born upon this earth by the Virgin Mary. And in one of those Psalms, 
Psalm 27, 4, he says something very similar to what Paul is telling us here about his desire to look above and to behold God's beauty and his glory. In Psalm 27, 4, he says it like this. He says, this one thing do I desire. In other words, this is his primary passion, his primary um, purpose, his primary uh, uh, desire in life is to be, and he says it this way, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. In other words, be in God's presence, worshiping him. And then he says it this way, to behold his beauty and to inquire in his, and to, to seek him in his temple. To behold God's beauty. You know, the more you do that, the more you behold God's beauty, his holiness, and his glory, do you know what the Bible says? You yourself change. You change from glory to glory. Apostle Paul says it this way. He uses the example of Moses. You might be familiar with this story. When Moses was on top of Mount Sinai, God gave him the Ten Commandments. And Moses came down from the mountain. And what, you remember what happened with his face? He brightly glowed. There was a bright, a bright glowing in his face. So much so that he had to put a veil over his face so that the people, when they saw him, wouldn't be terrified. Why did his face glow? Because he was beholding the holiness, the beauty, the glory of God. And the Apostle Paul uses that illustration in 2 Corinthians 3 when he talks about someone who turns to the Lord to behold his glory. Listen to this. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 16. But whenever anyone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away, and we who with unveiled faces all reflect the glory of the Lord are, listen to this, are being transformed into his likeness with ever-increasing glory which comes from the Lord who is, the, who is the Spirit. You see, you grow from glory to glory. You grow into his likeness, as it says here, and you, ref, you reflect his glory. The more you behold the Lord, the more you grow in his glory. And the more, incidentally, not only do you change, but your thought processes change. Instead of an earthly value, you no longer have an earthly value system. You know, the most important thing to you now is not just, it's not earthly power. It's not earthly pleasure. It's not earthly position. No. You have a heavenly value system now. You're not conformed anymore. You're transformed. Amen? You're not conformed. What does Romans 12, 2 say? Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is the will of God, what's good, acceptable, and perfect. See, your heavenly value system is different. It's different than the world. Now, the most important thing to you is what pleases God. Not what pleases you, what pleases God. And putting God first and wanting to imitate God, his, the love of God as a servant of the Lord. You have a new mind. You're transformed. Why? Because... You're looking above. You're looking above. So we look above to God's heavenly kingdom, and we look above to God's heavenly king. Let's look again. Verse 1. You have been raised with Christ. Set your heart on the things above where Christ is seated. Where? At the right hand of God. 
Jesus is seated at the right hand of God, a, su a supreme place of authority that signifies his union with the Father. It signifies a, his shared reign with the Father, a reign of authority, of power, of dominion. It's a shared lordship over the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. When you receive Christ, you receive the triune God. Your body becomes a temple of the triune God. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And you have now, when you receive Christ, not only you become a part of his kingdom, but now you have a heavenly king. You have a heavenly king to keep your eyes on. Listen now. Don't be drawn away by the distractions of the world when you're walking with the Lord Jesus Christ. Don't be a distracted walker in your walk with the Lord, okay? You heard of, you've heard of distracted driving, right? Everybody knows what that is, right? You, uh, you know, you're distracted driving, you're, you're texting, you're looking at your cell phone when you're supposed to be driving. No, no, I'm not going to say any names here. No, but, but uh, did you know in the state of Hawaii, Honolulu is the first state in the country to have a law against distracted walking. <laughs> it, it, what it is is this. The, 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 it bans pedestrians from looking at their smartphone while they're crossing the street. <laughs> okay? And the aim is to, to reduce the injuries and deaths, which there have been, unfortunately, associated with this. As a matter of fact, uh, they call it distracted walking, and they have a name for it. They even have a name for it. They've coined a name for it. They call it uh, smartphone zombies. <laughs> Literally, that's the name for it. All right? So, so, where is your focus? Where is your focus? Are you looking? You know, you know we navigate the world by seeing, you know, with our vision, what's in front of us, what we perceive, what's in front of us. Are you being directed by your heavenly king? Uh, don't walk, you know, don't walk like a zombie in your walk with the Lord. Amen? Be alert. Be alert to how he wants you to live. Not only what he wants you to do, but how he wants you to think. You know, in a relationship with Jesus Christ, there's nothing more intimate or as close as our thought life. Do you know what it says in 2 Corinthians 10.5? It says this. We take every thought captive to the obedience of Jesus Christ. Every thought. You see, that's the intimacy we have with him. You know, it's our thought life where we're tempted. It's our thought life where we're tested. It's our thought life that's more, worth more important than anything to keep a right perspective in your view and vision of life and the dimensions of life. Because you know what? Satan is waiting in the wings. Did you know that? He's waiting in the wings to blow you up and to destroy your life. Just like, unfortunately and sadly, in Afghanistan, as we've been praying and we heard just about two weeks ago now where they, they, they ISIS uh, found their way, snuck their way into the gate, uh, the gate of the airport and detonated a, 
a suicide bomb, and with that, along with other firearms, took the lives of so many innocent people. You see, that's what Satan wants to do to you. He wants to destroy your life. He wants to destroy you. We're in a battle. Did you know that? We're in a battle. The battle is in your mind. It's in your thoughts. So you've got, you know, this. But the thing is this. We have weapons. We have weapons. It's not weapons of the world. Our weapons are divinely powerful for the destruction of strongholds. For the demolishing of strongholds. Listen to how Paul says it. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 5. He says, we cast down every argument, every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God and bring every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. We have weapons in this battle. And if Jesus Christ is your king, you need to be obedient because he is the commander-in-chief. Amen? He is your commander-in-chief. He is the one. He's the only one that can direct you to freedom. From sin and the judgment that sin brings. So, when we keep our eyes on the Lord, we do it first of all by looking above. Looking to God's heavenly kingdom. Looking to the heavenly king. And second, we do it to live the new life. To live the new life. This is in your outline. Verse 3. Live the new life. For you died, verse 3, you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. You died. You know, when you accept Jesus Christ, not only does it into your heart and life, not only does he save your soul, but you die. You die to your old sinful nature and your old self. And here's the thing about it. That death, that death, is something that's to be rehearsed on a daily basis. You see, because in our own life, you have a life without faith in Christ, without a relationship with Christ, without a vision of what Christ can do in your life. In your old self, you're dominated by sin. You're in darkness. And what he's saying is put that deadness away. Put that darkness away. Put on the light of Christ. Live the new life. And rehearse that death on a daily basis. You know, Apostle Paul says, I die daily. I die every single day. Verse 5. Verse 5, he says it here. Put to death, therefore, whatever is in your earthly nature, whatever belongs to your earthly nature. Put it to death. It's a daily thing. It's a daily thing that we're to practice. It deprive your old nature. Put it to death by depriving it of its power. Don't, fa don't focus on it. Don't feed it. Kill it. One, one, one translation of verse 5, one translator puts it this way. So kill the evil desires lurking inside your members. Demolish it. King Asa in the Old Testament was a good king. And, but he came along the line when there was a lot of wicked kings in Judah. And the wicked kings had set up, uh, we talked about in Sunday school, the Asherah poles false statues, foreign gods, all over the country. 
And the Bible says that Esau was, was obedient to the Lord, 2 Chronicles 14. It says he did what was good and right in the sight of the Lord his God. What did he do? He removed the foreign altars and the high places, and he smashed them. All right? He smashed them. He demolished them. And that's what the Bible wants you and I to do. What did Jesus say? If your eye causes you to sin, pluck it out. If your hand causes sin, cut it off. Of course, he's using hyperbole, ex- exaggeration, but he's making a point, isn't he? Get serious about your sin. Get serious about putting it to death. Do what you have to do. Be determined. Be passionate enough to take the pain that it might involve. It might mean removing yourself from certain people. It might mean removing yourself physically in whatever means from its sources of temptation. But do what you have to do to put it to death. Put that old nature to death. Now, let's take a look. Paul gives us a laundry, a, a long laundry line, if you will, of dirty laundry <laughs> in verse 5 of the old nature. And he says it this way. He says, this is part of the old nature you have to put to death. He says, put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, greed, which is idolatry, you know, this whole list, this whole list is really, every one of them except one perhaps, is a list of sexual vices. Matter of fact, he begins with the word sexual immorality. In the original Greek, it's the word porneia. That might sound familiar to you. That's the word we get from our word pornography. Uh, pornography in America today, I don't know if you, uh, it's hard to underestimate the problem there is. One writer in the, in the uh, web news, um, uh, new, news website, The Daily Beast, has an article called The Sexual Ad- Epidemic, The Sexual Ex- Addiction Epidemic, and he says it like this. He says, compulsive sexual behavior can systematically destroy a person's life as much as addiction to alcohol or drugs. And it's affecting an increasing number of American psychiatrists and addiction experts say, and then he quotes another book's author that talks about the subject, and and this author calls it a national epidemic. He says, uh, sex addiction treatment organizations tell us the demographics are changing too. It used to be 40 and 50-year-old men men that were coming for treatment. Now you have uh, more women, more adolescents, even senior citizens. It's an epidemic. Pornography in America. Now, these are all things that Paul says belong to our old nature. Our old nature, our old sinful nature. Then he goes on. Then he goes on to list number two, verse eight and nine. Thank God. Thank God for the blood of Jesus Christ. Amen. Shed on the cross that when you turn, when you turn from your sin to the Savior, his blood washes us. Amen. We sure need it. Verses 8 and 9, there's another list. Now, this list has to do with your disposition, how you, how, how you, uh, your temperament, uh, uh, your frame of mind. This has to do with how you treat other people, how you act toward other people, how you speak to other people. Verse 8, 
and 9. He says it this way. Rid yourself of all things, all these things. Anger, rage, malice, slander, filthy language from your lips. Do not lie to each other since you've taken off the old self with all of its practices. The sinful nature. The sinful nature we're to die to. The sinful nature that we're to put to death. The darkness. So we are to live the new life. How do we do it? We've got to put off the old nature and do what? Live for Christ. Look at verse 4. It says, when Christ who is your life appears, you will also appear with him. You're going to live for Christ. When Christ who is your life appears. You catch that? Christ who is your life. You know, there's a lot of things in the world that people can be consumed by. That, that on, a, you know, on the right measurement and in the right place, not necessarily bad things, but when a person's mind is continually upon these things, their eyes are continually upon these things, they say, well, I'm, this is my life. You know, uh, sports is my life. My job is my life. Music is my life. Even my family is my life. You know, for the Christian, there's only one who should be our life. Amen? There's only one who should be our life. And that's Jesus Christ. That's Jesus Christ. Why? Why should he be our life? Why should we live for him? You know, Apostle Paul said it this way in the book of Philippians. He, he was in a prison cell. He didn't know if he was going to live or die. And he said, to me, to live is Christ. It is Christ, and to die is gain. You know, to live is Christ. Why should Christ be our life? Why? Why should that motivate us to live for him? Because 2 Corinthians chapter 5 tells us the love of Christ compels us. Uh, like a magnet, it draws us. Once we, once we understand his love, what he was willing to do for us. Listen. 2 Corinthians, it says it this way, chapter 5, it says, it says this, verse 15, he died for all, that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. See, we're to live for who? For him, for Jesus Christ. He is to be our life. He is to be the one that we live for. So the, the question that we ask ourselves now, you know, once we put on the new life, is not, not, do, not what do I get out of it? No, 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 no. The question we ask ourselves now is, what does Christ get out of it? Amen? What good will this bring to Jesus Christ? What glory will this bring to Jesus Christ? Putting on the new self, keeping your eyes on the Lord, Putting on that new self. Look at verse 9 and 10 once again. It says, take off the old self with all of its practices. Verse 10, put on the new. Put on the new. This, there's a principle here. There's a principle. It's called the principle of replacement. That is this. You take off the old. And you hear, here's the thing. You cannot stop something and without replacing it with something else. You know, the ancient philosopher Aristotle says, says it this way, nature abhors a vacuum. 
If you just try to stop something without replacing it with something else, you're gonna, that old patterns, this old life is going to come back even stronger. You've got to replace it with the new. You've got to replace it with the new. So that's why the Apostle Paul says this. He says you have to put on your new self. When you put on your new self, you do this on a daily basis. You know, just like you have to die on a daily basis, huh, you have to put on the new on a daily basis. Hmm? Listen to this. The Apostle Paul, I like how he always likes to use the analogies of athletics. You know, when he talks about living the Christian faith, he says uh, in, in 2 Timothy chapter 4, train yourself in godliness. And that word train in the original language is gymnasium. That's where we get the word gymnastics. Gymnastics, it, it has the meaning of training yourself like an athlete to develop certain habits. What kind of habits? The habits of living godly. Because you need to, we need to be practicing Christians, and it's not going to happen just by listening to sermons. I hate to say it. It's not going to be that. It's not going to happen just by reading books. What do you have to do? Like an athlete, you've got to do what? You've got to get out on the field and put it into practice. Amen? Listen, listen how one writer says it. He talks about a young boy who wants to be a great shortstop. He says it like this. A young player can watch videos, read books by the greatest shortstops of all time, listen to coaches' lectures on what makes a great shortstop. But what will truly make him a great shortstop is not just listening to lectures, right? It's doing what? If he gets out on the field and, and gets a feel for the game, and, and he practices, and he feels those ground balls after ground ball after ground ball. And he, it, the, the more he does it, the better he gets. You know what? Isn't it the truth? Same thing with a Christian. Huh? 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 The more you practice, the better you get. Train yourself. Put on that new self every day. The new self, the life of Christ, the holiness of God in you. You know, the word renewed there in verse 10, it says, you do this, you be put on the new self, being renewed in the knowledge of your creator. The word re renewed there is a present tense, and it means it's a constant, continual thing. You do it all the time. You're always keeping your eyes on the Lord. You don't let the fire go out. Let it keep fanning the flame. What, is it, what does the Bible tell us? Don't quench the spirit. huh? Fan the flame. Don't let the fire go out. Renew yourself. Die to your old self, live to your new. So then in conclusion, keep your eyes on the Lord. Your vision, your vision of what you see in life and the dimensions of what you're viewing look about. Like David who sought to, to behold the glory of God and to grow in his glory, Seek his, seek his glory, to grow in his glory. Don't be a zombie in your, in your walk with the Lord, amen? Be alert. Be alert to what he's wanting you to do. Keep your eyes on the Lord and then live the new life. Die to the old, live to the new. Get rid of the old and step into the new. You know, in, 19, in 2006, there was a group of people began a tradition celebrating on, uh, around New Year's. They call it Good Riddance Day. <laughs> Participants write down unpleasant, uh, painful, maybe embarrassing memories from the past year, and they all take it on a piece of paper, and they throw it in industrial-strength shredders. 
Or, if you prefer, you can take a sledgehammer and smash your good riddance item like a cell phone. One of the good riddance, uh, oh, this is a United States custom that actually began in Latin America. It was a tradition. Uh, around New Year's, revelers were stuffed dolls with object, uh, with objects representing bad memories before setting them on fire. One of the good riddance uh, organizers, day organizers, says it this way. It really is the need that we have. Even when the world is crazy, to say, you know what? I'm going to let go of things that have been dragging me down. And I'm going to look forward with a sense of hope and the possibility of change. Now, for the Christian, we don't need a shredder. We've got a Savior. Amen? We don't need a shredder to let go of the things that are dragging us down. we got a Savior. We don't need to, to, to just hope for the possibility of change. we got the promise of the power to change. And you keep your eye, keep your eye on the Lord. On the Lord, your Lord, your liberator, your life. When you do that, you keep your eye on the Lord. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for these reminders, Lord, from your heavenly word. Reminders, Lord, that to keep our eyes on the Lord uh, and keep our eyes on you, Lord, and keep our eyes on your word so that we can know your will. We can, we can know your will and we can know you, Lord, and have peace with you. Thank you, God, for these reminders. Help us, Lord, to, to be committed, to, to train ourselves every day to put off, the, put off the old and put on the new life in Jesus' name. Thank you, Father. In Jesus' name we pray.